We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Influencing. We're all elections. here this afternoon to celebrate the great, uh, the great election that the UK Greens have had. Well the done, first comrades. Climate election. I'm glad that we sent you all that money uh, to help your campaign. I'm joking. <laughs> 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 Fucking losers. Yeah. UK Greens are a disaster. UK Greens, no, not good. But all right, so <laughs> we're hold them into our skills wallets. <laughs> And shoot them on a nuke to the sun. <laughs> Get back in the skills wallet. <laughs> Get back in the skills wallet, Greens. Back in the skills wallet. Maybe we've got we found a fucking title for this uh, podcast already. You're gonna need to direct us here, Joe. Oh yes. Okay. Take so charge. We're here. Thank you. We need on a, hero. a very sad Friday afternoon. Um, I think. We agreed a while ago that we would do a podcast Friday, no matter what, um, dissecting the, re- the results of the UK election. And I don't think any of us anticipated being in exactly this situation. Um, the result is much worse than we thought it would be. Uh, even those of us who did think the Tories were going to win or form a minority government didn't quite think that this was going to be the extent of the carnage. So obviously this is a bit of a setback for us. Um, I want to discuss it and see what everyone's takes are. Um, as I was saying before, uh, so we've been here holed up in a in a unnamed boardroom since eight seven thirty a.m. <laughs> Beers have been flowing since nine thirty a.m. Um, well before. That's well, a very generous time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, fine. Eight from a, from before a, business hours. As soon <laughs> as the uh, um, exit polling was released, mm, the, mi- yeah. the minute. Mm. Um, and so I think, as I was saying to a few of you before, I think the result is going to be spun one of two ways. Basically, it'll be either um, Corbyn was an unpopular leader and if they had had someone else in charge, Labour would be looking at a majority or a minority government right now and or Brexit brought down the Labour Party. And I think all of us here are more or less aligned behind the second position that Labour needed. Obviously, Labour's position on Brexit, if you look at the polling, um, was their undoing. So I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on that. I Do you agree? I mean, I think any... In terms of the 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 Labor, Corbyn was an unpopular Labor leader. I think any Labor leader that took that manifesto and that platform to an election would have been made to be unpopular. Um, the same sort of the same sort of media program that made Corbyn unpopular would have come out. Mm. So, like. It's probably not a particularly relevant factor mm. in terms of talking about the politics of it. Well, I think that's the thing. If we're talking about the two, the two possible framings, actually, the, there's a third framing, and I think that's the framing that the um, Australian Labor, because Corbyn could be just seen as a, um, you know, he, he was too nice, he was too soft, or he was too fuddy-duddy, or what, for whatever reason, like it wasn't political. It was a, it was a personality thing. That's one way of framing it. Um, then, of course, uh, there's the Brexit one, which we'll, I suppose we'll get onto. But then the, there's the there's the other one, which is like politically, his project is unviable. The, the, the project associated with Corbyn is unviable, and that's mm-hmm. a, that's a political critique that I'm no doubt in the Australian Labor Party headquarters is you know um, frantically you know, the, the, being worked up into yeah, exactly. a viable excuse for being right wing. Correct, and this is like a vindication of, of Albo's uh, strategy in Australia because you know p- p- the specific approach they're taking at the moment in Australia, where they're going to like retake the regions by saying coal's really great and all that sort of stuff, um, is precisely the thing that you know you could 
could draw the if you wanted to draw that lesson from the from the UK result here, where like the regions or the Midlands and whatever went conservative because Labor lost touch, blah 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 blah. And that's what I think would be the other take um, that I think will probably be the most dominant one in Australia. And I think that's the one we're going to need to combat most is is the actually political. Um, uh, challenge. Um, I mean, I suppose that there's the far left take as well that th this proves once again that electoral politics is always going to be a failure, blah, 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 blah. And maybe we can get to uh, that as well. But I mean, I think um, I think all those takes, and any take that doesn't center the Brexit thing, like if you just look at the raw results, you look at the swings, um, the, the, the vote either shifted from Labour basically almost entirely to the Brexit party or it split 50-50 Brexit and Conservative or it split 50-50 Brexit and Lib Dems. And that's, you know, from the Labour Party. And I think that that's just a clear indication that the, the, the Brexit was, like this was the Brexit election and nothing but the Brexit election. And I think it's very like important to sort of like clarify of listeners who perhaps had not been following this as like full, um, so as closely as us, which probably is like 99% of people. But like uh, the Conservatives were very hard line on their Brexit stance. They were like, we're going, we back leave. Um, you know, when we get re-elected, we have this hard mandate to get a hard leave um, result. And so the Labor Party had a very sort of like, it, it was meant to be neutral. It was meant to be a neutral stance on it. And it was like, well, well what we'll do is we'll go back to um, another referendum and we'll put it back to the people. And so like, you know, when you're looking at those votes that are bleeding in those sort of like northern constituencies that have been historically working class for an incredible amount of time that have gone to the conservatives so people who you're just like you would never have considered voting conservatives ever in their lives have done so this time around and i think it would just be yeah like you, you can't look at those results and say that brexit um had nothing to do with it it's, it would just be insane to draw that conclusion yeah, I was saying before, like, as, oh, we should introduce ourselves. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Uh, about to get into like a 20 minute monologue <laughs> where we have no introductions. Um, so I'm Joe here with Nicole. I am Liam. I'm Declan. I'm Eva. Thank you. And, and we together, have some. We are very sad. <laughs> we are very sad. <laughs> and uh, drunk. <laughs> and drunk. And we have some. We have some friends in in the in the space who silent friends. Silent yeah. silent <laughs> friends. You never know. They might get enraged enough to like just grab someone's yeah. mic for a bit. I'm I yearning, hope they do. Actually, I'm yearning for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, right. So um, I was going to say, yeah, it's it was in a way um, useful to have a single issue party that drew so many votes away from Labour being the Brexit party that everyone can, you, I mean, you can just look at the polling and be like, cool, okay, I see exactly what happened here. And I think um, for anyone who's trying to spin this as it's Corbyn's fault or Corbyn is the leader or the project was unpopular, like, you know, are you forgetting 2017 where they went to the, an election with the same leader, similar manifesto, similarly radical, and did very well? Like, there's one thing, there's one factor that's different in this election and it's pretty fucking obvious what it is um unfortunately you know facts never get in the way of um columnists kind of living in their own alternate reality so i expect to see so many columnists being like labor could have won if not for corbyn blah 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 and to me that's the most hurtful thing <laughs> the absolute boy just having to take a lot of flack for things that aren't his fault so you know prayers up prayers up to my boy <laughs> that's, that, that's right 
<laughs> but I guess it also makes it really difficult as well because it makes it really hard to be able to draw any conclusions from it and to draw some learnings. And I think you can as, as days go on and we get more of a sort of nuanced analysis of what's happened. But at the moment, like it's very starkly clear that Brexit has been a huge player in this and actually being able to take that and to translate it to a, a context in which Brexit is not um, at play is, is, is quite difficult. I guess the only thing that you can really draw from that is that actually if the electorate, like it's very, you know, it must have been so clear that that was a big issue. Like, mm. you know, you, how could you have gone out door knocking? How could you have been talking to those communities who went out in such force to vote for Brexit, both um, the first time around and now as we're going back to this election here, like how could you have not picked that up? Uh, you know, and not being able to translate that into a, like a broader political narrative, and perhaps they were able to pick it up, and you know, knew perhaps the leadership or knew this all along, but there was no way in which they could get that through the party, and there was doubts around what would happen in the London seats and the more, um, I guess, cosmopolitan seats. But you know, don't don't ignore you can't ignore that shit, right? Like particularly if you want to be um, in a party that's taking government and a lot of your seats that you need to win to 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 keep government in the seats that you need to retain to keep government or to, to, to win government um, care about that kind of issue, you cannot ignore it and you, you just can't have a neutral stance on it. Yeah, um, I guess like my like kind of drunk, um, incoherent, <laughs> like drunk at 2pm take on this Best kind is, of take. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that like in a way that maybe was underestimated, Brexit really did become symbolic of the failure of the parliamentary system and the establishment Mm -hmm. and you know all these feelings that the electorate obviously has about you know frustration and you know feeling alienated from the system and um, just you know enraged at the lack of um, ability of politicians to get anything done has become polarized in this issue of Brexit and I guess that's something that was underestimated by the Labour Party and you know um, from from following following a little bit I didn't follow super closely but it seemed like, you know, a lot of our comrades over in the UK were talking about, well, look, when you're at the door, you've got to just try pivot it to the NHS Mm. and try pivot away. But also what I heard was that it, you know, it actually was, it was coming up a lot. Mm. And maybe that, that pivot just wasn't quite possible and it had to be confronted more head on with more clarity. Um, And it does bring to mind as well, um, we, uh, a few of us, or at least me, made some um, phone calls for... Hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're trying to steal some Bella here. Yeah. There's a lot of us who didn't. Maybe just me. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know who I want to end up in terms of this, you know, um, you know electoral uh, fraud. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm um, volunteering for Momentum from um, from overseas. Um, yeah, and hearing from from those volunteers who are out there doing the canvassing saying, well, yeah, look, you know, personally in my area, Brexit has been coming up a lot and, you know, not feeling super confident in how they were going to respond to that. It was something that I even heard from the few phone calls that we did make. Um, I think so, like in retrospect, it's so obvious, right? Like you have a, you look at the Brexit result and the fact that they're all like this huge section of the working class who are voting Brexit, um, and not to like say that I'm the expert or I know you know what they were quote unquote really thinking, but the interpretation is, I think it's fair to say that that was um, a vote against the ruling order. Like it's expressing some kind of deeply held dissatisfaction with how things currently are, and so that happened. And turns out a lot of them are like in Labour heartlands, and then you get to the 2017, 2019 election, and it just kind of 
it's all ignored. It well, it had dragged out for so long. Yeah. Right? It had dragged out for so long, and um, I think there was I think it was was it Craig, our comrade Craig on Navarro. Craig, yeah, I think a new really friend. Yeah, really. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Craig. A, a, yeah, a huge <laughs> jinx. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely going to at him. I, I in think this. the clearest clearest take on all of this. Like, and he was a he'd be, he was um, just for our, peop- our listeners who weren't yeah. watching that coverage was someone who had been door knocking in like a. Um, Midlands, yeah, seat? seemingly quite a lot, and yeah, mm. yeah. Barnsley, and I think was yeah, it was Barnsley. Barnsley, Craig oh, good Barnsley. On you. No, no, his last name wasn't. He was <laughs> Donalkin in Barnsley. He is Craig Barnsley. His <laughs> name is now <laughs> Craig Barnsley. Barnsley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Craig, but but, but his <laughs> basic take was that you know that for the, for a lot of these people like Brexit. Um, wasn't just like, an, you know, it, well, it was initially a, a, a way to, for the disaffection and, and disappointment with government and, you know, the status quo to be funneled into Brexit. But then after Brexit, it became this point of principle of like, well, I, we won this thing. We mm. won this, this vote. And now you guys are trying to take it back from us. Yeah. And, the, and the, the liberal media establishment um, who support, you know, pro-Remain, pro um uh, you know, or maybe even you know a bit more softly, a, a, a second people's vote uh, thing. Talking like having the fucking hide to talk about how like the conservative establishment are like post democratic. Now we're entering a sort of managed democracy. Blah blah blah. If you're the people then saying, yeah, well we did a referendum, but we didn't like the result. We're going to go back. Mm. Um, you don't have a fucking leg to stand on. And actually, in retrospect, the whole like Labor campaign where they were pissed off at the media establishment for like delivering the Tories again. Well, yeah, fair enough. It was insane the media bias against Corbyn it was it was absolutely fucked up but if you don't reckon with the fact that you're going to be seen as the people who don't respect a democratic mandate yeah especially in those areas where people meant a lot clearly meant a lot to people Uh, I mean those swings don't represent uh you know anything other than a you know I suppose we can get onto this a bit later but like I don't think they represent a structural shift or like a a, an embrace of of a conservative politics or anything like that but they do represent a kind of like a you know not, not beyond thumbing your nose at the establishment at this point, like a genuine like just distrust and rejection of a politics that says, "Oh, I don't, I don't think your opinion's worth it." Um, you know, so so I think that's that's be- that's being played out here. I suppose we can hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like we we, <laughs> we you know, I was very much like, you know, um, fucking, you know, Brexit. Just just back Brexit until about a couple of weeks ago, and it seemed like Labor had found a good mm. position. And it could broker because obviously, like the Lib Dems were going to absolutely clean up in London and the southeast and everything if they backed Brexit, and they were going to lose so much to the Lib Dems then. So they clawed back off the Lib Dems a lot by f- striking this deal. Mm. But in retrospect, was it a was it a compromise mm. that was it the was it the worse compromise than the other one? I mean, to, uh, my feeling is it's just they were going to get fucked this election. In retrospect, they were going to get fucked by Brexit. It, the way it cleaved through um, politics, like. You know, UK politics just was never going to be favourable to the left. You've got this incredible program. You've got an incredible manifesto. Incredible, like the scale of the organisation of the UK Labour Party that it has never been like that for for decades. But it couldn't deal with this. It just couldn't. But you also couldn't like. So the weirdest thing about this, right, is like the so you know like on reflection, like the Labour manifesto in all its glory. Some of those things you couldn't put through without Brexit. You couldn't put through as you're a part of the EU. There's rules around like how much you can put into public ownership and how much privatization that there needs to be of like things like rail, things like transport. Like I don't actually think like you could have publicly owned broadband and be in the EU as no, it you stands. Have socialism. 
Yeah, so like it's a so so interesting, right? Like how how the party managed to end up with both of those positions, right? But I don't think that that was necessarily articulated. The fact that like, I don't, no one no one didn't vote for Labour because they're like, oh, hang on, there's these like actual exactly. parts of the EU in which you yeah, cannot no enact this manifesto. That. But no I think in terms of like the party, like if you if you were gonna go down that road, fucking go down it properly. Mm. And if you've got yeah, an electorate yeah. that's calling out for something, and you're already committing to that in your manifesto. Like theoretically, just just go fucking whole hog. Embrace Lexit is what you're saying. Like, gen- but genuinely, like you know, if you if you've made that decision and you made that decision that actually like you're able to also present this like, yeah. To be honest, like I'm very very biased and I've kind of like gotten to the point where like I was like, oh yeah, maybe Brexit that's a bad thing. And my family in the UK was like, Brexit's a real bad thing. I fucking hate the EU. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm all Lexiters now. I've been yeah, a real right. like lefty Lexit for a long time, and this is just vindicating but my position. As I was saying before, just briefly, Corbyn was fucking right all along. Like he had a Lexit position from the start. Wrong. Well, that's he it. Did. 2017, he was like yeah. jobs first Brexit. Yeah, yeah. And let's not talk about it because jobs first. And he got dragged in the right. fucking right. Guardian and every every yeah. publication like that for being like yeah. a Eurosceptic. Yeah. Turns out he was right and more yeah. in tune with his voter base than they were. Um, yeah. And once again, like he's had to cop this thing that is really in no way his fault. Uh, well, I think there are a few things he could have done differently, but we'll Absolutely, get into that later. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, but I think that point that Craig made, and I want to paraphrase him, um, he said about Brexit, he said like the voters that he was speaking to had the um, the kind of stance, and his words were, imagine you've never won anything before in your life, <laughs> and then you, want, you win this, and then they try and take it away from you. And I remember having like an argument with my father out of law last Christmas about this exact thing where he was like there should be a second referendum and we were like just imagine like winning something that meant that much to you and then the establishment says no actually we're going to do it again and yeah I think for some of us in the lefty bubble it seemed like maybe Corbyn had struck the right balance but I think that is the problem with being in the bubble and being too online and not door knocking (laughs) and I think most of the people who were door knocking saw through that right away and knew it was a problem. I mean, I think one of the real problems is is the way that the like the I mean, like the Guardian kind of press that liberal media talked about Brexit is that they characterised it as as a racist response, um, as opposed to a populist response against neoliberalism, where the EU is this fundamentally ne- fundamentally neoliberal institution, and unfortunately, the left never articulated a populist kind of response to that, and so when when that happened, that was actually the first kind of fuck you to the dominant like the dominant politics that that regular people had ever won and one of the things that we talk about a lot in our own political project is how important it is to be anti-institutional and and against against politics and against the the dominant kind of establishment um and to then to then try to take take that that anti-establishment away like position away from your base was was always destined to fail Mm. but i mean it's so easy and (laughs) the thing that's like really fucking with my mind at the moment is that it is so obvious in hindsight like i'm just looking back being like of course like it was the sort of thing that you just quashed down like it would kind of bubble up to the surface of my brain every few days and i'd just be like get back down (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be the youth quake it's gonna happen but no no you you can't ignore those kinds of things yeah and um on that like from again um i was you know watching you know fairly somewhat closely but but not super closely from 
people, um, you know, uh, lefty media um, programs in the UK, it kept coming up, but it kept being then swept aside. And we'll look, no, we can make it about the NHS. And I think there was a, a bit of denialism there that actually, yeah, again, for me also did bubble up in my mind thinking, you know what, like that position does seem, you know, fundamentally, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable it's with it. It's very risky, right? Like, um, yeah. And I guess, again, the other thing is that comes to mind for me is – Again, hindsight 2020, but, you know, how how can you really articulate talking about democratic control of the demo- of um, the economy and introducing democracy into these things that, you know, haven't been particularly democratic in the past? Mm-hmm. If you're not able to really clearly stand up and say, we had a democratic result for this referendum and we have a clear stance on that, how can you talk about enacting democracy and, you know, yeah... I guess introducing that into other aspects of society when, you know, the most basic function, the referendum, is not being um, respected in a clear way. And that seems quite clear now, I yeah, guess, with the results coming in today. And I think technic- like technically you can definitely make the argument that um, Labor's position was better or more democratic because there was no Brexit deal on the ballot right like and what they wanted to do was like give people the option to vote for a yeah. deal that they would it be good a few I mean weeks ago, you know, absolutely but of course <laughs> yeah like technically remain. you can make that argument but that's nothing compared to the emotional response of winning something when you've never won anything before and having people wanting to take it away from you so that was wrong they should have yeah but also people hate getting into those details we know this like people absolutely yeah. hate getting into those technocratic yeah. of like why that wasn't you know w- what people see and particularly as the faith in the electoral system declines and declines and you have a referendum and people see that as one of the only like methods of democracy left. Right? Referendum like is kind of powerful clear. in this context. Yeah. It's more powerful than maybe it has been in the past because as people's, you know, respect for the establishment and the major parties declines, it's almost like, well, you know, a referendum often kind of gives you two options and it's a bit, it's a single issue thing and it kind of cuts through more in a way maybe than it has before, which yeah, and, and, has and it's problems. About, and it's about a signifier. I mean, this is a, this is a really like, if we want to get into like populist theory, this is like, this demonstrates like Ernesto Laclau's like basic principle that like, you know, in a populist moment, society gets divided into camps and it's and you get wrecked emo- and you get and you get <laughs> no it looks very good it's, it's just it's like a very liam thing Go on. Like, you, you know like you get a people get emotionally invested in a signifier and it's not a question of whether the policy is good or whether it's like all the details that's a technocratic and this is what james james my, my boy james me <laughs> I, I dropped my two boys some of my boys in the one paragraph i've come through to james same miliband is not a part of your boys i will come to miliband at some point no doubt out. Um, but, you know, he said in a tweet that I think is really, really clear is like Labor didn't lose because it was too anti-establishment. It lost because it was too establishment. Mm-hmm. And establishment discourse is like, well, let's have, you know, all the details out on the table. Let's have the sensible approach. Let's make sure that blah, blah, blah. But when you're in a situation where people are hurting and like there's been a decay of the civil society organizations that would allow people to have a more, you know, democratic discourse, blah, 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 blah. People are going to latch on to a signifier and Brexit, like get Brexit done makes so much more sense 
then like, oh, we're going to give you a lot more detail and then you're going to be able to think about it a bit more. Maybe you were wrong last time. You know, like maybe you didn't realize that Brexit was going to be so bad. And so we're going to give you another chance to reflect on, you know, like that sounds so patronizing and technocratic. Yeah. It sounds Hillary Clinton-esque. And, the, and you, you can't, but you can't, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn is, is so far from that and mm. his movement is so far from that. But the fact that they were forced to adopt that does, does uh, indicate a certain um, either strategic failure or a certain weakness of, of the position they were in given this context. Like, I don't think we can sit here and say they made all these mistakes. It's their fault or mm. whatever. They were in a really tough position. They were incredibly Maybe tough. they made a mistake. I don't, the postmortem is sort of like a bit irrelevant, but I think probably the main thing is that we, we, we do work out what, what went wrong rather than, you know, it's not a matter of apportioning blame, but yeah, you and can see now yeah. it's quite clear. And you can see like there in a way that in which you, you can, I, you know, like because of the, like it's, you know, it's a little bit harder because there's structure to the party and they restrain you in particular ways. But one of the ways in which I guess you could have been able to identify this more is like, surely if you went out in those constituencies and you door knocked and you had a method of how you were feeding what was coming at the door up into the strategy that yeah, you were running in yep. the air game. Yep. There was a way between the two of those things. Like that, that is the lesson for the future it right here. Interesting hearing some of the like low numbers of volunteers out in some of those Midlands and Northern constituencies on election day itself. We had a team of 10 people in an entire like you know constituency of you know tens of thousands of voters and they were leafleting and they were leafleting and they, were doing they weren't blind clear what leafleting. they yep yeah, they had no idea they had no data backing up their strategy i mean which isn't like momentum's a very new organization it's a yeah, few years and old like, and they huge scaled respect up to our comrades in momentum incredible i can't imagine yeah. what so it must well. be like absolutely but absolute like i think that might uh, yeah i think yeah. that might just be the um, reality of running a very large decentralized campaign Totally. Also being outside of the party structure, right? If you're outside of the party structure, it's a lot harder to feed up into the party leadership when there are things that you need to be like, hang on, like this is coming up at the door again and again and again. Why are we not talking about this in a particular way? Like, you know, your, your door knockers could probably have told you these results. Having said that, by the time, you know, they're running a five-week election campaign, that if they had have been doing Feels this... Feels like five months. <laughs> <laughs> if they had been doing this for six months or whatever... Emotionally five months. They, they would have been able to feed that back in and come up with the right Brexit position t- eight weeks out and whatever. But if you... No matter how much door knocking or whatever campaigning mm. they did in that five weeks in those areas and tried to feed it in, they couldn't change the Brexit stance in that five weeks. They would have mm. been seen as weak and vacillating and whatever. No, so it, it wouldn't have changed it. anything. Yeah. But the point still st- stands. It's, it's a broader structural question of how in touch they are with those constituencies, right? Like, how, like, are they so removed from them that they couldn't get that? Or if they were in touch, they still had to broker a deal with their power base like their, their you know base in London and whatever and and, and, and you know that they didn't feel they could stare down the challenge of um, you know the the remainers in in Labour Party membership and, and in the in the parliamentary Labour Party and those sorts of things so mm. I know one of the things you're saying is this doesn't represent any sort of structural shift in politics but to some extent I think you could probably read it as as a bit of a uh, some set of camps falling around neoliberal cosmopolitanism versus, versus like this anti-establishment kind of Brexit populist kind of fuck you. Um, and, and I think that really shows that, you know, in London where this, this kind of cosmopolitanist politics really landed and did quite well versus everywhere else where it failed completely. And that's, I think, characterising Brexit as this, you know, backward and, and mis- misreading what Brexit was in the populist conscious as as a, like a racist vote as opposed to a... Yeah, some of like our comrades anti- on Facebook saying this represents some kind of shift towards fascism or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, what do you make of that? 
<laughs> I just think, you know, the, the, you get a result you don't like and you say fascism's coming, you know, like it's just so... <laughs> I think we should really take a James Meebo approach and just like, it's wrong. Yeah, are just it's, wrong. It's, 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 it's just nonsense. Yeah, you're you know? wrong. Because <laughs> well, I, I mean, think that, I mean, that um, gets into the territory... Um, of blaming voters, right? Being like, well, everyone's just a fascist. I guess that's how it is. Oh, well. Which is like... Hot flowcast take. Not everyone is a fascist. (laughs) (laughs) Huge if true. Hashtag not all fascists. It's also an easy take as well. It's so unproductive. Like it means, it just means you get to abandon the whole terrain and just be like, oh, well, people are terrible. Um, That's it. Rather than people that can be shifted, right? Yeah. But also, we do hate fascists. If you're we, a real fascist, oh yeah, we do like, hate fascists. We're coming for you. I, oh yeah, we just absolutely. believe the majority no of ordinary people are not in fact <laughs> fascist. <laughs> not even a little salami for fascists. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in that case, what should Labor have done differently? <laughs> I I, know, I feel a bit bad sitting here, like not you know having we did we did do a phone bank for momentum, which was excellent fun and I think um, it was beautiful actually it was one, so like one of the best ex- campaign experiences I've ever had um, and should, should we speak to like the inspiration that we've kind of yeah. seen from them over the past little let's while actually, let's actually let's do that yeah. before we lay into like how they could have done better because I yeah I don't mean to bring this up as kind of like we if we were running the campaign we could have done better because no, honestly I'm not sure we could have like no, no one saw this coming won. obviously but I think it's it's useful to reflect on that for future but let's start with inspiration so maybe mm-hmm. everyone can talk about their experience at the phone bank like mm. my best experience was talking to this so we were calling into the north and midlands because this was last sunday so i think by that point um the party had realized that shit was getting real in that part of the country um so picture all, everything we're saying in like a very intense northern english accent mm. and so i so talked beautiful. <laughs> uh, i talked to a young woman uh, who just she couldn't do any campaigning because she had a baby recently, um, and she said, "You know, I'm young and healthy, so I assumed there were there would be no complications, but there were complications. Um, and my my daughter is fine, and I'm fine, but if it wasn't for the NHS, she'd she'd be dead, um, and I would be bankrupt." <laughs> and she said, um, "I'm calling all of my family and telling them, you know, like the politics isn't abstract." We have a new baby in the family. She deserves to have the same opportunities as we did. Like she deserves to go to school. She deserves to grow up, um, you know, with a future. She deserves to breathe clean air and have the same access to health services that we did. Um, (laughs) So it was very emotional. Uh, And she was so like everyone I talked to. um, Okay. So I got a few like Stonewall Northern responses when I mentioned I was calling from Australia. They were like, okay. Um, (laughs) But like everyone, most of the people I talked to, including this woman was um, so stoked to hear that like we were ringing her from Australia. It was 9.30 on a Sunday night and we were like giving up our time to call for this project that we all believed in. Um, Yeah. That was very touching. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I had so many people feel so excited. And, and thrilled to hear from someone they couldn't quite understand, but then when you yeah, yeah. but then when you I said think it was mutual, right? I, sometimes yeah. I got like every third word yeah, <laughs> what yeah, they yeah. were saying. <laughs> but I think I think once you kind of just said, "Look, we're a bunch of socialists in Australia, and we're so excited about Jeremy Corbyn and the program that he's running," you know, people understood, people got it, and actually, it was really beautiful to have that sense of internationalism on a very small scale. Obviously, we want to be able to do that in such a such a larger scale, and not just between obviously countries, the imperialist countries. Um, but it it was quite beautiful and people you know everyone I called was doing everything they could 
there are, I think we got the trash list, the list of volunteers who, you know, they couldn't get onto or, you know, were probably not going to likely turn out to be, you know, door knock every hour for the last seven days. But the people that we spoke to, are, I, I spoke to a lot of elderly people, people with disabilities and so on, who were doing absolutely everything they could because they believed in, oh, fuck, now I'm getting emotional. They believed in Jeremy Corbyn. They absolutely fucking did. And they believed in the program in a way that I don't think the Labour Party um, in that country has done in decades, and certainly in this country has probably not done since Whitlam, um, you know, that they, 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 were, they were sacrificing a lot um, for, for this thing. And, and I think, um, you know, there's a sense that that can't, be, that can't be taken away. And when I say that there, I don't think there's a structural shift here. You're right, there is this kind of divide between city and country and all this sort of stuff. But what I mean is that I don't think this is a structural shift towards conservative politics. I think the trend is the, in the other direction and the kind of like consolidation of a really, really um, forthright and self-confident um, socialist politics in the UK is not going anywhere. Those people were so proud of what they were trying to achieve in really tough circumstances and they were furious at the media establishment and everything else. And it was it was beautiful just to connect with them for a few hours. Mm. Um, and, it, and it reflected everything that we've been thinking about Corbyn and what he represents. And you, we, sure, we can criticise different elements of Corbyn's own performance and, and all sorts of other things, but holy fuck what they've been able to transform in the UK Labour Party in the last few years. None of us would be in this room, to be honest, I don't think, no, if it weren't for, for what they not. were doing. Yeah. And none of us would be so excited about you know, the prospects of what we can achieve. No, I don't think we'd have the political clarity that we do if it weren't for not just Corbyn, but, you know, the whole team around him, everyone in Momentum, John McDonnell and his team, um, Navarra Media, you know, all the institutions that have been growing out of this. Um, it, it's it's just, it is, it is an absolute... Um, there's no going. There's no going back to like a, a Blairite third way um, consensus... And it's so exciting. And I don't think this is, we should take this as the end of some kind of, uh, you know, process. It's a bunch of concrete things we can learn from it. But um, I don't think any of those people are going to stop. I don't, I don't, I think it's just only going to fuel their tenacity. Does anyone else have um, phone banking stories they want to share? <laughs> or you could just bring the mood down a bit. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess what we could do is is share a story on behalf of Max, who isn't here right now. Oh, but, yeah, good idea. Um, yeah, I was I was here making the phone calls as well, and I actually overheard this conversation um, as Max was having this conversation on the phone to a Momentum volunteer, and it, w it was just one of those really inspiring moments that, you know, like I'll probably like treasure quite closely is that, um, you know, he'd, he'd called this, this potential volunteer and they were already in the car on their way to Canvas with a whole group of, you know, canvases to go door knock in, in some marginal constituency or whatever that I probably can't pronounce. Um, <laughs> it was um, Brickham upon Rye or something. There you go, <laughs> <Equally> yes. <stupid. laughs> and, you know, they were just so thrilled and excited by the idea that someone was actually calling them from Australia yeah. to hype them up and give them encouragement, you know, that close to the election. And um, I think what happened was they actually put, you know, a comrade Max on loudspeaker, on loudspeaker, um, <laughs> and you know, were just like cheering for him, and he was cheering for them, and you know, they were all in the car on their way to go door knock. It was, and so, that was, much, it was so loud. Yeah, <laughs> so much flailing limbs. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, that was quite an incredible moment. And I think, you know, I really do hope that energy is going to continue because, um, yeah, I have so much respect for everyone who campaigned for Corbyn yeah. and, you know, the Corbyn project and. 
I think it's really important to to reflect on what went wrong, but at the same time, I think it's important to acknowledge the gains that we've made in terms of organising and bringing people into the project and um, the conversations that we had the other night, I think were so reflective of that and really concrete, like made concrete for me how big this this was. Um, in particular, I I do remember a conversation I had with an older woman named Sheila. Who you talked to like everyone you talked to was called Sheila. There though. were many <laughs> Sheilas, many Sheilas in the UK. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this old Another woman. Podcast title. Did you end up getting to say great weather for ducks? Uh, no, I didn't. Sad. I said it was good weather for lizards here, though. So. <laughs> and they were like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Got absolutely nothing there, but it was fun. <laughs> this older woman, Sheila, I don't think um, maybe she was quite up for getting out there um, to campaign herself. Um, but the thing she was most excited about was putting up a Corbyn um, Labour poster in her window. And when I called, she was so forthcoming and friendly as though like she'd known me for a long time. She said, oh, look, you know... You know, I went to put it up tonight, but, you know, I'd just run out of blue tack and I thought I'd gone to the shops and got some, but I hadn't and I've run out and I said, you know what, Sheila, that really sucks. Um, <laughs> look, make sure you get out to the shops tomorrow and get some blue tack and put your poster up in your window because, you know, every little bit helps. And she was like, yeah, no, I'm really disappointed, but, you know, I'll do that tomorrow. And it was so, so lovely. And, you know, I think maybe she was a little bit confused as to why I was calling from Australia. But <laughs> I put up the poster. <laughs> I, I'm watching you, Sheila. Like, Sheila, we know you can post it up. up. <laughs> uh, from Australia, I can tell. So I've I can put it up, right? Maps. She was, yeah. I think she was maybe a little bit confused, but I think she appreciated the phone call and appreciated the solidarity. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I'm thinking of Sheila today. Yeah. I spoke to someone who was... Um, had been going so hard. She'd been leafleting all morning and was about to go door knocking and canvassing that afternoon with her husband and he'd been putting as much as he could in as well. And she was quite dejected and was saying, you know, I don't think we're going to win. Um, you know, the best I'm hoping for is minority. And I guess I tried to kind of talk about like the the ups and downs of campaigning in the last few days and the like the emotional roller coaster. But as as she got off the phone, I could hear as, as, as we were each hanging up, turning to her husband and saying, what? And she was just so excited, and um, and that was so like that was the moment that 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 I keep like thinking about, like the the tone the tone of excitement in her voice was so meaningful to me, and I think why I got kind of a little bit optimistic, even though the polls were consistently dog shit, mm. was because I really believe in field campaigning. Yes, yeah, um, and same. and they had such a big field campaign, and and all of the people I spoke to, so many were already you know really going all out. Um, and all I could think is like, oh, no, but I believe in field campaigning. I believe that that's happening. Um, I, and I think that that is going to have a fundamental, fundamentally much bigger result than it has. Um, but I think the thing there, though, is right. It's like, you know, I was just I was going to talk about this and I left the phone banking because I had some really, really great conversations. But they'll make me cry if I talk about them. Um, but the thing was that... Like, I don't want to do that. No. The tactics, like, the, you know, what they, what they were managing to pull off in momentum and the field campaign that they built was amazing what was missing you know like it's nothing against any of those door knockers or momentum or the people who were able to build those field campaigning structures like I increasingly think this and I you know I thought the same as you Declan and I woke up this morning with a lot of hope because what I'd done is I'd spent a lot of time you know looking into all the people that were out there like canvassing and all the people who are out there doing the work over the last like 24 hours and that last like um 
what's it called that James um, Butler does? Burner. I completely forgot now. Burner. And there was all the voices of the people who are out there and field campaigning. And I was like, well, fuck, I believe in field campaigning. This is what's going to shift people's votes. But I think the really important thing for us to remember here and the thing that we can take away from it is that actually field campaigning is really a useful tool. But at the end of the day, it's the politics. Mm. You know, it's no, you, you need you only, them together. You can only work with what you've got. You basically. can't just have the politics and, you, you know, and the messages and the narrative. You can't have it by itself. That's useless. But you also can't have the field campaigning by itself. And I think this is an incredibly important message, not necessarily for, for us here, because I think we understand the marrying of the two and how those things play out. But actually, you know, time it's always a good time to dig in in the Australian Greens, um, particularly when you're feeling yeah. hurt. It's never no, a bad time. But this is Absolutely. a lesson, right? Like, if you don't fucking sort out your politics, you're not speaking to anyone, you can build the biggest fucking field campaign that you want, but it's not going to shift votes because if you're not out there talking to things that people care about and mean things in their lives, it's a complete waste of your fucking time and same as if you if you don't listen to the field campaign and if they did they would have been hearing that hey brexit's a huge fucking issue and Mm. people feel super super betrayed the way that the field campaign informs your politics is is the most important thing about it and people did bring that up to me even on the you know the phone calls we made on on one night is saying Mm. well yeah you know like you know i've been out canvassing a bit um was what someone told me and you know yeah brexit is coming up a lot and you know I guess I, I didn't myself know how to respond to that, you know, and we, we talked about something else, but it was definitely there. Yeah, on the bright side, I think on that, like, you know, in terms of if we're applying this to our own context, we do have that more flexibility. And I think, like, this is not something necessarily that, you know, we, we've, I've actually thought about this as we're planning out some stuff for the next year over the last few months, is that actually, like, I don't necessarily think our door knockers understand this, that actually, like, everything that they bring back to us and every conversation they have with people and every sort of feedback they give to us ends up in the messaging. It all informs informs it. It all informs the things that we talk about and the, thing, the issues that we think are important and what ends up in our flyers, what ends up in our digital comms, all of those bits and pieces. There is a pipeline that goes up from what people are hearing at the doors into it and that is so effective and you, you know you do really think here like was that what was happening or was that, that was something missing in the institution of the Labour Party in the UK was that able to to cope with that and to be able to make those changes fast enough as it needed to happen. But I think that's kind of what I was saying before is that that is the downside of running a very large national mm. campaign versus running one campaign in a seat is so much harder to have that pipeline. Almost impossible. Like a few of us just got sucked in slightly into like the very first <laughs> layer of the momentum campaign infrastructure on Slack and it was like totally overwhelming, like so many moving parts. Um, and I just, I, I, I agree with you that there needs to be that pipeline but I like don't blame them I don't blame them and um (laughs) I think yeah like that's something to work on for next time but like geez that's so hard hey and if we're thinking about apportioning blame and and we should there's a few things there's a few things I want to say I've got a list (laughs) and I'm going to read out number one the UK Greens (laughs) yeah well no okay first point I think it was something that Josh said was that like uh, Josh one of our I've just outed one of the one of our silent contributors uh, (laughs) um earlier was just like what do you think the Blairites how do you think they would have gone in this election they would have got crushed. Dog shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Dog shit. They, they just would have, have picked Remain and they would have got screwed in every possible way. <laughs> they would have got wrecked this election. So if we're talking about, oh, maybe Corbyn made a few mistakes, maybe there were issues in the way the field campaign, they did so well given Bla- the Blairites, context. Uh, this so, uh, the Lib Dems are basically occupying the Blairite yeah, position in this election. Yeah. And it sucks and it doesn't work and, and they would have got absolutely wrecked. But yes, I mean, the other thing is, is yeah, there, there are a number of seats, I suppose, where a little bit um, 
uh, tender about the loss of Laura Pidcock's seat. Laura, we which, love you. Which, which, uh, was, which, which um, fell to the Conservatives. Thanks on a to mar- the fucking uh, Greens. Yeah, on a, oh, not, on a margin yeah. narrower than, than the Greens vote um, in a first-past-the-post system. So I suppose that is, that is also the thing we need to bear in mind that, you know, the UK has an absolutely dog-shit fucking electoral system. First-past-the-post is completely insane and we're lucky to have a, a significantly better electoral system in Australia. Um, yeah, so I mean the 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 the, the Greens um, and the Lib Dems just like completely unforgivable what they you know their role in all of this and I, and and also you know the media establishment and the BBC. Um, but I, I don't want to get too far into that. I think. No, I guess not. But, it's, but it's, I, I, I we agree. don't we don't want to talk about it because I think you know we're all smart enough to know that if you're going to try to make radical change if you're going to try to bring in a kind of democratic socialist politics you're going to get like attacked from Mm. all areas and your strategy needs to be able to cope with that so we're not saying that like you know Russiagate or whatever like it was the social media you know if only things had been easier things would have been easier and we'd have won would have won but it is worth just sort of you know being on being you know reflecting on the fact that there were there were these things there 100 Um, yeah it was not a level playing field and trying to pretend otherwise is, is stupid but also you sh- but, everyone should know it'll never be a little but if we're going to learn lessons and this is the thing so <laughs> you know like there's, there's there's a lot of our our um you know less less uh you know more skeptic parliamentary skeptics uh friends online and whatever else who are like let's draw some lessons from this experience and you know there's going to be a lot of them who are like now's the time to forget about parliamentary work and we're just going to go straight you know not even parliamentary work but like trying to engage with the with with elections and so on let's forget about that let's get back to like i don't know what insurrectionary strategy or community building or whatever. Um, if we're talking about lessons, the lessons have to be concrete, right? They have to be about, okay, cool, wow. Okay, we're going to come under this kind of attack. How are we, how are we going to deal with that? We're going to deal with the question of scale of, yeah, this question of how are we feeding back on a... Because I don't think it's a, it's a given that just because you reach a certain scale, you can't have a sophisticated structure of feeding that message back into the kind of... Like the, part, the mass party that we want to build is not a mass party of like people who are just kind of thrown out in, into, the, into, the, into the world and, and, and they, they just try to do whatever they can without much of a strategy. The mass party that we're going to need to actually transform this, this country and, and, you know, in every country is going to be one that is so well organized and so well thought through that is doing you know everything is quite strategic and is and is well oiled i mean there's going to be chaos in amongst all of that but the extent to which we can out organize our opponents is going to be the main thing so there's a lot of um you know questions around how you do that at scale um i mean momentum was never going to be able to do that at, at, in the way that maybe was going to be able to turn this election because they, they only existed for the last few years you know and they did so well over the last few years of shifting the entire politics of the labor party but you know there's a bit of a tall ask for them to then be able to run a sophisticated uh, campaign in every marginal seat that's feeding back all the intel to the central party and have all those communication channels really sorted out. But that is actually something we do need to think about. And there are no shortcuts to that. And I think we've got, you know, while everything sucks in Australia and, you know, we've got this 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 Labor Party here who just is going to be an absolute just joke um, for perhaps ever and they're going to they're learn all the wrong lessons from this. Um, we do have the advantage at least in some areas in this country where you've got a bit of a left building a local project and having the time to sort of slowly build up the right structures to make it work at scale. 
Um, you know, we, we're not th thrust into a political moment that we're not ready for. We've got a bit of time to build. I mean, obviously, we think we wish things would go faster, but we, we should make the most of the time we've got to, to get those uh, things right. And, and, and so you draw concrete lessons. And so there are concrete lessons around messaging, around what can cut through an election period. There are concrete lessons that I'd love to, you know, spend some time going and talking to Momentum organizers about what worked, what didn't work. The lessons we don't want to draw from this are lessons like, oh, parliamentary uh, struggle doesn't matter. Oh, the people will always be duped. Oh, social media will always, you know, It was undermine. bots what did it. Yeah, it was bots what did it. You know, like there's there's all these takes that are super, 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 super abstract or, or you know, accelerationist ones of, oh, things have to get worse before people <laughs> will, you know, rise up or, you know. Not here for that. Yeah, exactly. We're not here. Those All those takes are just so abstract and and I waste and time. Yeah, yeah. And they're, just, they're just time wasting and they're knee jerk and they're like, also they make people feel really good about themselves mm. and they don't really do anything for, for changing the world. But they only make people feel good about themselves who are posting them. I think that's a very important thing here. <laughs> like you feel very good about it while you the post it, privilege. but you do not make the other people around you feel particularly good about that while you post that. I think I want to talk about something that hasn't come up very a lot, but um, I remember seeing this in the first week or two weeks of the campaign and thinking like, shit, that's a really good point and it never got mentioned again, which was Labor's line around the NHS was too moralistic. It was basically trying to hit people in the feels about sick kids or whatever, but it wasn't articulating class consciousness around the NHS. Um, and again, like it is so easy for us to sit here on the other side of the world and say, you should have done this, this and this better. But um, yeah, I'm just like thinking about that again and thinking like, yeah, that was actually a really crucial point. And I think the one ad that, um, or video that, or piece of like labor material that did manage to hit that was the video that came out a couple of days ago that a lot of us just like wept inconsolably at, um, where they talk about building the NHS, but they um, articulated it as a class project. And I think the, the opening lines of that video is, um, they said that we'd never build the NHS, but together we built it anyway. And it, but it also um, positions that, health service as the site of like human experience and connection and all of the footage is of like beautiful newborn babies and like couples embracing in hospital beds and crying and like all of these things that are really important and emotional and emotive but are still situated as part of common struggle not as just like an emotional or moral thing so I guess I'm interested to hear what people think about that as well. Yeah, um, I think I was speaking to someone um, in a bit of a like a, a too early drunken delirium about this earlier, but I think it is true um, to some extent that that moralism is not always the thing that really does change people's minds when it comes to actually voting. But I do think it's different to the moralism that we um, often do critique about um, climate change, for oh, example, yeah. in Australian politics, where. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, issues about, oh, you know, it's your future, you know, don't you care about the future, this sort of moralism about, you know, it's the climate election, why why wouldn't you vote for the future and this sort of thing that, that we're quite critical of. I do think, you know, these, um, you know, quite emotional p videos about personal stories that, that are a moral question about the NHS, I do think they're different and I wouldn't necessarily conflate the two, but I guess, you know, having seen the results that we've seen today, it does bear the question did it quite have the cut through but I do think that I'm sure it connected with many people I just think maybe the Brexit thing connected with more people mm. and was more 
resulted in being more of um, the issue that brought people out to vote. But yeah. I, I have no doubt, though, that people could see themselves in in that messaging and think of their own, you know, material circumstances when they saw, you know, the threat to the NHS that was being talked about. Like I. I do think that that's something worth talking about because it's a real issue. It does touch people's lives and it is much more immediate than, you know, some of the other moral issues that, that sometimes the left attempts to utilise and, and fails to utilise. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good take. Um, I, uh, I, my, my issue with the NHS stuff was I think that was the, what the Labour Party were forced into um, campaigning on for lack of a uh, uh, better like, I think they had this manifesto that was just so full of hope and excitement about a new Britain. But because Brexit was just, like, just whacking them again and again and again, they had to pivot to Brexit as the only thing that they could think of that was in people's ordinary lives. Oh, you mean the NHS? I'm many, many uh, wines and, and beers down. Um we had the people's champagne earlier. Uh, when, when um, liberated from a finance company. <laughs> yeah, when when uh, Joe Swinson was fired, uh, strapped, spooned a nuke when fired into the sun with um, her skills wallet. <laughs> with her skills wallet in in hand. Um, but I think there, there's a sense in which, like my feeling, the whole time the NHS um, lines were coming out was that it was very uh, reactive and very mm. defensive. Mm-hmm. It was it was, was meta scare, right? Yeah, it was. It was meta scare, and 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 it. Um, like, while I understand why, why they did it, and maybe I, I probably would have done the same thing in their situation, I'm just, I don't think it's a criticism. It is the truth. It's the truth that that's an institution that um, people could relate to in, in the UK that represented something, some t- seed of the future society that the Labour Party wanted to build in their manifesto. But there's no clear link between a decrepit NHS because it's been you know slowly chipped away at and that hopeful vision and that and I don't and I mean it's very difficult for them to kind of like they weren't actually campaigning on their manifesto I mean they couldn't no they weren't they, yeah. they couldn't and that's maybe a big difference between 2017 and now was in 2017 it was very future oriented yeah like, mm. here it's this amazing manifesto and this time it was very defensive. And again, I do understand the strategic thinking behind that, but that's but it, an obvious qualitative difference. And it represents a real barrier. If that's what they were forced into doing, uh, the, 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 the shutting off of horizons that the Brexit thing forced, and maybe not just Brexit, but, but decades of neoliberalism and 10 years of austerity and so on, people's inability to connect to a hopeful vision. A lack of ability to even like envision a future yeah. that is beyond yeah. the whole slow cancellation. The present, the yeah. Yeah, so I, I think, and, and that was what I was feeling the whole time the NHS uh, campaign and the videos coming through was one after the other about the NHS. And I was mm-hmm. the whole time kind of going, this is kind of sad that they have to campaign like this. Because it's not something, it's not future orientated in the UK. Like that kind of campaign is future orientated in the US. But actually yeah, it's going right. back to something that already existed in the UK. Yeah. And it's going back to, you know, like maybe there is some of that nostalgia vote, but I think there'd be some really interesting um you know, it wasn't even make be, med- yeah. it wasn't even make uh, NHS great again. It was just like yeah. let's keep med- let's like let's protect. keep NHS. And I think one know, of the it okay. save it. Yeah, yeah, save the NHS. What, one of the best Jeremy Corbyn tweets in this campaign, and you know, you all know that was I've been just following the Labour one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Labour. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, the tweet. That was his social media team. Like, I just can't praise them enough. They did amazing work, all especially in the last yeah. day. Yeah, all yeah on election day, in, in particular, whoever is in control of his Twitter feed yeah, was the, just fucking amazing. The one where he was like, um, <laughs> "It's you." It, a polling station. Um, it's something like it's too cold. Um, 
and then like you know we we've got to keep the Tories out and it's like me I'm co- I'm coming over that that meme I really garbled that <laughs> but you know the one where it's like too cold come over me I can't we're gonna keep the Tories out me and then it's like him walking I, I took like, that as a person who needed no approvals like that whole yeah, day yeah. was like someone who like Jeremy is obviously out campaigning yeah. every like major someone, player in the I was reading all that being like Jeremy I don't think you wrote this I love you but I really don't think you wrote this no one who makes Jan has ever done this post um oh my god where was I going with this right but uh no no um no I I sidetracked myself there um yeah one of the best tweets that he made which was maybe a week or so ago um was something like I'm sick of campaigning to stop closures I want to campaign to open new things to Mm. like you know yes for future stuff basically and I was like yes and yeah I guess looking no yeah looking at it now I'm like that wasn't consistent with what your campaign was about And it fucking sucked. But um, this is a really good point, though, because, you know, the fucking Australian Labor Party or whatever are going to be all like, oh, you know, you can't go down the radical path because you'll be rejected by the voters and so on. You know, you just can't take that. That'll, you'll never form government with a kind of uh, socialist politics of Jeremy Corbyn. They, no one was voting or, for or against their manifesto. No one was doing that. No one knew what was in that manifesto. It was a giant document with lots of details in it. It was beautiful and full of incredible policies that would have fundamentally transformed the UK and, and shaped world politics if they had a one government. But um, is it a defining thing if no one, like, if no one knew the details no, of it? Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't. It was the, this was not the manifesto election. This was the. This was the. It wasn't the climate election. It was. The, it was the Brexit election. So. So I think this is something that we have to just bear in mind. And I suppose maybe it is a, a challenge to all of us to want to, to think about how in in all of our future campaigns we don't get forced onto the back foot like that, and that we do make sure that whatever it is, like socialism, rocks and people love it when you can articulate it well to them. And um, you know, like they the do. They, they, defender has logged on. <laughs> 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 it's an endearing laugh. You never logged off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, whether they could have done any differently, it's, it's really good for us to reflect on this and, like, you know, it's not about like when people are really hurting and saying, "Oh, we just want to defend the institutions we've got." You're not gonna, you're not gonna win votes. You're really not. Um, yes. I guess on this, I'm not sure if this is something maybe that's been touched on in a previous podcast, but I feel like we uh, we spent a fair bit of time talking about our own experiences and our own inspiration and also, you know, what, what we've maybe identified as potentially things that, you know, could have gone quite differently. But have we touched on it or what, you know, the politics of Corbynism? And is that something we maybe want to yeah, hold I on to for a moment before yes. it inevitably, you know, changes? Yeah, It ain't gone um, away, though. It's not going away. I guess and what is it about it, though, that isn't going away? What's, what's well, the good stuff? let's stick into this because I think a, a big part of it is the generational stuff, right? Like the whole idea in the selection was that Labor would win over the young vote and I haven't seen enough detailed um, data to see if that's correct or not. But from what I can tell, the last stats I saw was like 60, 59% of 18 to 24-year-olds or something were thinking about voting Labor, which is fucking great. Like that's higher than any... Social Democratic stonk. Party in the Western world. That's a I good know. stonk. Not a youth quake. Good stonk. Good, stonk. good stonk. Yeah. <laughs> Being a bidet for bad stonks. Bidet. <laughs> <laughs> There's Newcastle upon stonk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of ironic that like 
you know, New Labour has had this series of leaders, most recent Ed Miliband. And I was saying before, I have, you know, a lot of us, we all have a lot of respect Critical for Ed Miliband. Critical support for Ed Miliband. Yeah. I mean, he is a party man. Like, he has been loyal to Corbyn. He's never undermined the project, um, even though it's not his politics. And that's the fucking least you can do, honestly. And good for him. But um, he, you know, he's a s- <laughs> kind of a centrist. Uh, but he's like, you know, younger, like, um, in that kind of like cool-ish like Gen X demographic whereas Corbyn fuck is fuck Gen X Dang. yeah no fuck Gen X hey. whereas Corbyn is like this grandpa who grows veggies in his allotment like um, yeah, categorically John uncool two uncles having a cup of tea two uncles and one <laughs> cup of tea it's an in joke but we're not going to go into it <laughs> <laughs> not, not okay just cancel them uh, but yet it, it is kind of ironic it's the same as Bernie Sanders in the US they attract so much of the young vote um so I think that in itself doesn't explain the politics, but that's a quite interesting and important context for the politics. Well, I guess for it's sure. just how hollowed out Gen X is. Like the last time that there was like meaningful radicalism was when that generation was young. Like that was the last mm. time that, that that radicalism was just like deeply penetrated throughout the class, and it was a it was as a thing that was was mass. Um, and Gen X just you know just got lost through these bleak bleak 80s and gave the fuck up and started writing for the guardian and but, but, I mean, that's, a, that's a response to a particular structural up. shift in all the economies oh, around, around how so wealth you know how how individuals in the working class accrued some degree of wealth and stability right it was around like in a, like home ownership um you know in australia it's like your superannuation um you get tied into the finance markets in a way that the earlier working class wasn't so that you know there's a degree to which um b- boomers who made that shift who could ride that wave as well as gen x got on that and and sort of like if you want to use marxist terms like bourgeois consciousness or like capital material interests kind of like penetrated into the working class in a way that hadn't existed before and you know like the gen, gen what are we gen y like millennials gen z we don't have that we don't ha- we don't own property we don't we none, none of us hold a job down long enough to accrue a super that we're actually like think will have any impact on our lives like my super fund is the climate wars kind of a thing <laughs> like but that but i think that's so it's not just generational in some weird cultural sense of like oh young people mm. because they've been exposed to like you know More social media different music and social media and they're all gay now like somehow think differently um, mm. it, it's, it's, it is yeah. material Like it's it, absolutely material It reminds me of like some fucking BBC And again I don't want to get into the media stuff Because I think that's been covered very thoroughly By our comrades at Navara And also I don't know that that's the most useful Form of critique But yeah we all know the BBC is shithouse But there was a clip um, from earlier in the election With some BBC idiot Saying to some Labour politician So you've really lost the support of the working class. Your new base is young people. And it's like, hmm, what do you think they are? (laughs) They're just floating above class? (laughs) I noticed no one's mentioned the uh, Overton window yet. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to take that? But this is... Well, they didn't... didn't, I think the thing with the Overton window, though, is like what's missing from all of this. And I think what what, what we were engaging with, the content we were engaging with them, as we read the manifesto, as we read all of the... The plan for nature. 
Plan for nature. My favorite one that you can have a even have a plan for nature is an amazing idea. Like it shifted it shifted the Overton window to us, and it shifted the Overton window to people who were engaged. But because they didn't do a particularly, you know, what it seemed like they didn't do a particularly good job of um, communicating the manifesto or talking about the things in it which were really transformative, that were really bold and were really different to what they were talking about in 2017. Because it's like it's kind of fucking insane when you read this manifesto and you read the 2017 manifesto that you know what you think actually the only difference between these two elections is Brexit, which I actually, I completely agree with because the point is no one's reading the manifesto. And if you're not campaigning on the manifesto, well, then there is no nothing different between the two. But actually there's really fundamental differences between the two manifestos. And the one that came out this this time around is transformative and bold and incredible and so inspiring to read. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if that's in a document of 200 <laughs> fucking words where actually 200 pages... 200 words would be so much better. Yeah, that's it. That's what you want. 200, 200 word manifesto. I mean, like, I love it. I love it. But this is not how you, tr- like, you know, how you change the Overton window and how you expand the Overton window because people aren't going to read this. And if you're not communicating it, communicating it out through um, debates, which is what apparently is a really big shifter in the UK. It's so strange to me that people still watch television debates. I find it really, really odd, but apparently that's one of the things. And when we were watching Question Time on the BBC, like some of these really bold... <laughs> we went on a fun beach holiday together. <laughs> As we just story. yelled at Johnny Swinson. <laughs> I really enjoyed it personally. It was a good holiday activity. Broke. Whether it's a normal holiday activity, I don't know about that. But like this, the, the really bold transformative stuff there wasn't talked about there. I didn't see it talked about in their social media. No, that's right. I didn't see it talked about in anything, and perhaps Corbyn it wasn't. Talk perhaps about I the, missed in it. The interviews or debates, like I mean, yeah. I, I think, and may you know, it's it's tough, but like it's w- whether or not they did the right thing or the wrong thing, or whatever. It's just interesting to reflect on that. This, the, the I, I have the manifesto in my hand, um, and it's a it's a program. I think this is the, the other thing about um, thinking about this is the UK Labor 2019 manifesto is a manifesto for a, a radical government. Um, that is that will do what's necessary to like. You can't not do this. Like you can't. This is this is necessary. This is not like oh great. You know the left is finally doing left things that are cool again. It's like we have to do this program. Mm-hmm. Like in whatever form it takes for Australia or or, or the future. Like in, in five years time they come up with a new manifesto for the Labor Party. It's like the fact that a major party has actually got a plan to deal with the crises that are coming. And maybe they get it wrong, but the fact that they've got something that's close to like you know believable as to like dealing with the climate crisis, dealing with a, a transformation of the economy so that everyone ha- you know has a, either a decent job or has like actual you know welfare, has the training they need, all those sorts of things. It's not. Optional. It's not just kind of like this nice thing that leftists want. It's like this is a program that has to be implemented in the next 10 to 20 years. Otherwise, we're all absolutely fucked. And that's why all these talks about, oh, you know, we should, you know, maybe the Corbyn project is 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 over and has failed. It's like, well, no, it can't be over because then we can't change the world and we can't we can't survive. And I think maybe that's like what I was trying to get to or pointing at before with the generational thing is the reason this has made such an impact on young people is it's maybe the only political project coming through electoral politics in the Western world that um, articulates the idea of having a future, like having yeah. a good future, um, not being nihilistic or, yeah, like hope. Um, yeah. And I guess the other thing about this, this program that's really um, – uh, I think really exciting for us, and I think um, Nicole's absolutely right that it, it's something that's only been read by, you know, it's probably 
in the counts in the thousands, but not certainly not in the millions of people who've who've read this manifesto. Um, what it has done is igniting ignited the imagination of a lot of people about how it would be implemented. And I think that's a big change that I've certainly felt in myself, and I think a lot of people that I've interacted with just in sort of the, the left in, in, in Australia, and I think it's, you can see it in the discourse, like the literature that's emerging around the UK Labor Party and increasingly now Bernie Sanders and stuff in, in the US, is a, is, a, is a seriousness by which you think about, okay, how do we actually implement these changes? And it's not as simple as saying, or oh, either you get good politicians elected and they can implement it through the ex existing structures as they are, or you say, well, those structures are stacked against us because they're, you know, the state is bourgeois and blah, blah, blah. Therefore, we just campaign on the streets. It's one that says, well, we need a total social transformation, but that needs a plan about how you get into the state and you make the deep transformations to the state so that you can implement a program like this. And that is a huge lesson. The fact that we didn't get there to be able to, like, I was just so excited to see what, you know, even just... There's every possibility that Labor got elected and got wrecked in the first year or two by capital mm. flight and whatever else. Wanted but that would be better. That would be better. Better lessons. But even the fact that we I'll got take this close yeah. and we've started to think very seriously. Like I think it's a maturity that the left is developing that we haven't had for decades because we've been lost in like the swamp of all sorts of, um, you know, moralistic critiques of all sorts of things. I think it's. It is really exciting that we're, we're getting there, and, and credit to Corbyn and John McDonnell and his team. To, to, to put this on the agenda for the first time in fucking decades. But I think you shouldn't also, like, I think at the same time, I think what you're saying, Liam, is really important. I think there's kind of things that you take as, like, the movement takes from it and the volunteers take from it and I guess the, the left takes from it. But what we shouldn't take from it is that the votes that came through in the UK election were necessarily a vote for or against this manifesto. Absolutely. Not going to disagree with that at all. But I think it's, if we're talking, if I assume the majority of our listeners here are on the left. But also, like, I think this thing, thing is, I think people can really single troll. easily oh, yeah, reach well, those conclusions. And know. I think that's a, that's a conclusion that the yeah, Australian Labor Party is going to reach. Now. Yeah. Like, what are the things? We haven't quite yet named any of the things. I'd yeah, like sure. to do so. Democratic public ownership. Yeah, of green industrial revolution. Yeah. Like these things are not off the cards now. Like perhaps to some extent the baton has been passed along now to Bernie Sanders in the yeah, US, correct. which is, you know, the next thing. Yeah. Friendship, so um, friendship ended with UK politics. Yeah. <laughs> US politics. Yeah. But right. these things <laughs> aren't <laughs> over. Yeah. And no. I think even yeah. just as some like sort of time capsule, we should capture those things and, and the importance of those things now. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think it is that democratic side of the public ownership thing that I think this this new manifesto and, and, and John McDonald's stuff has brought onto the agenda because I think the old stale debate of like, you know, public ownership or private ownership gets, you can chart a course through it with a, with a way of talking about the democracy of the control over our institutions. But it's like the most frustrating part about this as well is like, so even if we see Bernie win we're not going to be able to see the same thing we could have seen through this yeah, like because absolutely. actually they don't have those public institutions and they don't have those publicly owned services in the US. So they're starting a little bit from scratch and they have even less of the public service than they did in the UK to be able to, this is really mm -hmm. nerdy, but essentially if Bernie wins, it's not going to be the same. What we could have seen happen in the UK and mm. the lessons that could have been learnt for being Stronger able to... trade union movement too. Yeah, yeah. But and they don't have Brexit, which means... Which is this whole other side of it as well, which is really, really great. But actually, like, in terms of this, it was not only implementing... Like, you know, the US has to start from the start where they're, like, implementing, um, I guess, like, publicly owned... Um, nationalised services. Whereas actually the UK we had that. What they were doing was expanding upon that um, and also making them more democratic. And so the, perhaps you can start right from that... 
that get go in the US and that's what they're going to need to do. But I was just so excited to see what, what that could look like and what a more democratic version of publicly owned services could look like. Yeah, for sure. Especially around, the, the, you know, their green industrial revolution, the Green New Deal thing where it's like created a million climate jobs, uh, transition to net zero uh, carbon emissions by mid-2030s, the, the kind of whole uh, so society-wide transformation that that would in involve, which, which you know, hinges upon being able to take large sections of capital and investment back into public control and then to uh, d decentralize some of that control so that you've got more regional banks that are controlled by boards of people who are elected from communities and, and, and workers and so on. There's a whole scale of a democratic socialist transition there that hinges on, yeah, that, that kind of new approach to democratic uh, public ownership as well as dealing like using the climate crisis as a way to go, here's how we're going to reorient our economy. Um, that's the politics that I think you know, it, it makes it makes eminent sense. It's a thing, like I said, it's it's not optional. It's not just a nice idea. It's absolutely necessary. Um, but the question of you know how you articulate it, how you win people over to it, that's the thing that we're all probably going to have to be thinking about over the next little bit. But certainly, you know, the conclusion that this manifesto is unpopular and un unelectable is 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 um, is nonsense. And just harking back to like, I guess, we're talking about the sophistication of, of this document and the sophistication of this politics, but harking back to the field campaign that they were running, one of the things that I was kind of surprised by because I've, I've just been idolising it for so long, like I've been looking at the scale of it and like just looking at it and being like, oh, it's, it's the field campaign that I have dreams I don't talk about publicly. Like, you know, this is, this is everything I've ever, ever wanted in a field campaign. And then when, I, when we got into the Slack and I saw the scripts and stuff like that, I was, I was actually quite surprised by, I guess, the level of sophistication that our field campaigns have in compared to that. Like the, the sophistication of the scripts that, that Eva, friend of the show. Um, <laughs> on the show? <laughs> on, on the, the show, show right, yeah. here, right next to me, um, has put together is, is just this huge step above. And... And having this, like, the level of sophistication in the politics and the, the maturity of the politics is really important. But having having the, the sophistication of a field campaign that can then communicate that at mass is a completely different project as well. Um, and we're nowhere near to having that level of scale, and I, I, I yearn. But I do feel like we we have we have a layer of, of, of talent and skills to communicate that, that that makes me feel quite optimistic about our ability to communicate these politics when we actually do get the opportunity for scale? I think as well though that, yeah, it is a scale issue. Um, and in, in defense of momentum, I was thinking about this as well, the fact that the script that we did in phone banking was quite um, soft in that there wasn't um, hard asks. It was just kind of like, oh, can you use these tools to find your nearest marginal to go somewhere on polling day? You didn't actually ask them, are you willing to door knock? Are you willing to phone bank? That sort of thing. Um, but I think that is the reality of having a large campaign is that you have to work to the lowest common denominator. So I'm not going to get too much into like nerdy campaign science stuff, but like you have to assume that everyone who's, who's calling for you is not comfortable making that hard ask because you can't do that one-on-one -on -one work with them to make sure they are comfortable. I disagree though. I actually think that you should be asking people of bigger things. And I think they did, like, I think the, I think it somewhere was lost between, you know, the, the broader goals of momentum and the broader approach that they had to their field campaign and what came through to us in the script was actually that like one of the broader, I guess, like, um, the approaches that Momentum took and the sort of like ideas and beliefs that they have was that like you ask people big things. You ask them really big Give things. Give up the gym. Yeah, because this is going to be a big thing. And so what came down to me in that script was like, 
that's not a big thing. We're not asking people big things at all here. And, we, you know, we weren't, we weren't doing the thing of like, you know, what their like broader philosophy was around. Like this is something that's really exciting and it's a really big change. Um, and being able to articulate that to people and then simultaneously asking them to do a big thing. I think that was, yeah, and I suppose it's a part of having that scale, but it, it made me a bit like, oh, how would you make sure that actually like what your your goals um, and your beliefs as an organisation, how are they happening down to this phone banking script, which is actually being distributed amongst like hundreds of volunteers. And when all of those volunteers make a phone call and they're all making like 100 phone calls each, you really want to make sure that that's being able to like, you know, speak to your goals and your, your beliefs as an organisation. I think there was a gap there and perhaps that is because it is quite a new organisation you had to scale up so particularly fast. But I also think with all of this stuff is like, I, <laughs> you always aspire higher, you know, and don't, it's like it's not a blame on them and it's not a like necessarily a critique on them. But if you, if you look at that, you, you have to learn something and you have to be able to say, well, all right, they weren't able to do it, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. And you have to be able to believe that you, you can do that because otherwise you're, you're never going to be able to do it if you don't start from the place of believing that you could be able to do something and build it to that scale. I think if I had to guess, I would say that they had received like some pe- because they don't have the one-on-one structures where they can help people feel comfortable making those big asks. They had received feedback like, I'm not comfortable doing this. And so they had had to tone the script down that and way. we also probably got their least uh, juicy list of volunteers we did, yeah. to call. So, so who knows? And yeah, again, I'm not here to critique them. But yeah, interesting to reflect how one can avoid those mistakes in your own, in one's own campaigns. On the list as well, just one last thing. I was quite, I was very impressed actually by the amount of people we called who mm. were already actively campaigning. It was awesome. Yeah, it was quite inspiring. And um, um, yeah, just, just the fact that, you know, speaking to, the, to the, um, the manifesto and how many people read it, I mean, clearly many young inspired people have read this manifesto, which is now going to be part of their politics forming and hopefully politics they're going to take with them over the next five years. So, so I think we're getting close to going well over time. I think this is going to be a bumper floodcast. And, and, <laughs> and there's a storm approaching. Ruin. Okay. So any last thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm going to ask other people so I have time to consider some of my own. <laughs> yeah, does anyone, well, does anybody have any? That's Long live the boy. He did absolutely nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. Yep. Um, oh, no, no. Actually, that's one thing I did want to get into. So this is my last thought. Um, the one thing he did do go. wrong was, and it, we did discuss this in our, in our um, election watching bunker earlier today, um, is that he just, he he was too trusting and too nice and he didn't get rid of melts. Like he, I think a lot of the people in the party who went after Corbyn, who undermined the project, who um, po- probably, and I don't know enough about internal processes to say this for sure, but I would guess um, they were the people pushing the second referendum line um, are centrists who should he should have got rid of early in the stages of his leadership and certainly after he won the second leadership challenge with an increased majority he should have fired a lot of people um, and after if not then then after the 2017 election after they got in they had so much goodwill and you, they knew they were as far out from another election as they were going to be he should have just taken that opportunity and got rid of people and I think from, I don't obviously have no idea what Corbyn's like as a person, but from all the stuff I've read about him, it seems like um, he's he has a lot of trust in human nature. And I think maybe that, you know, he took that a bit too far with some of his parliamentary Labour Party colleagues. My take from it would be that 
I guess like really focusing back in on the, f- the field campaigning, you know, the experience of the volunteers, is that before before you go and you, you take a conclusion from this that there was this was a waste of time or this was a, a bad strategy or something that, you know, the left shouldn't have done, the left should have focused on something else. I think spend the time trying to listen <laughs> to them and their experiences. And so, you, you know, you go back and you listen to that burner where it's all those snap, the snippets of all the volunteers um, and how inspired they were and how, you know, they even talked about, well, if we lose tomorrow, doing this and doing this together and being surrounded by so many amazing people has inspired me so much. And it's, it's really quite hard to articulate, but when you listen to them, and I guess they're also the same things that we feel. And, you know, it was very, very relatable to me. Is like, that's, that's how I feel every election night. It's like, you just want to cry at just like the amazing people that you have met and the amount of time and energy that they've given up. And that everyone has, you know, become together as this collective to do something that's bigger than them you know like don't don't discount that really don't discount that and don't say that that energy can be really like easily transferred onto something else or transferred onto something else that you don't even know what it is yet like just 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 be careful about that right like I'm, I'm all for being sold on like different ideas and different strategies but at the moment no one has ever shown me anything else that has been able to give people that sense of satisfaction and that sense of I guess, um, collective joy as electoral politics does. And I think if you don't, if, you, if you're not in it, you don't see it. Um, and so spend the time trying to find the activists that were involved in the UK election and listen to what they're saying on Twitter rather than the media um, and those takes, because I think those activists will walk out with that collective sense of joy and that determination to keep going and the determination to build something bigger and stronger because that, that's usually what you walk away from these situations with and I have no doubt that that's actually what's going to happen here. Damn. Um, you stole so well of, said. Stole a, lot of my, stole a lot of my points. So I'm, I'll, I'll be... Stolen Bella. Maybe, sure. <laughs> maybe be a little bit briefer and just say that um, I suppose this... Um, probably the thing and, and to talk to you know I'm going to talk this is just talking directly to you the listener um, our comrades who are listening to this uh, you know it's really lovely to have people listen to our ramblings and I hope you got something out of this um, but I think if we are going to take anything away from this um you know, basically, yeah, I think Nicole's right in that we have to learn some concrete lessons from it. I don't think we need to be drawing any sort of abstract uh, sort of, um, you know, lessons about big big picture uh, strategic things. I think we learn some concrete lessons. The thing I would say is that we, this politics is, like I was just saying about that, the, the manifesto, it's not, um, an, it's not optional. It's something we have to win in the next decade or two. Um, and we have to do it in Australia. We have to do it in our, um, you know, in our electorate or in our suburb or whatever. We need to find a way to do it here. Um, it, it didn't quite work out this time. I think we, in, earlier in this show, we analysed quite, I think, well the, the way Brexit um, scuttled the possibility of, of this, this kind of politics making, getting up this time in the UK. But there's no, there's, there's no you know, for the comrades who, who like the concept of mourning, sure, mourn for a little bit. Um, take a bit of time to feel a bit sad, um, but like we have to return to the struggle ASAP. We're running out of time, um, and we know now what the program is. It's a fucking good one. 
we have to apply it specifically to our own context and we have to be as smart as possible about how we campaign on it. But it's pretty fucking clear, actually, um, the kind of deep, deep reforms we need to make and the ways that we're going to need to build uh, strategies for its implementation in, at the level of the state, but also the kind of social, um, social like civil society organizations and social movement type structures to make it viable. That's all quite clear. So we don't need to draw any new conclusions about left strategy from this. We just need to learn some concrete lessons, um, spend a bit of time reflecting on that over the next few weeks, and then return to the struggle um, with renewed vigor. I think all those comrades, the thousands and thousands of amazing people who've given up so much of their time over the last uh, few weeks or years or whatever trying to build this project in the UK, we owe it to them to do it here. Beautiful. Um, I'll want to talk briefly about, I guess, the the media and 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 the the field campaign and the way they relate. We obviously to to fundamentally reshape our society, we need a really significant majority of people to be to be part of that program. Um, and the media and and left projects like Flood and like Navarra are a really significant part of that. But those things are only going to be relevant if they're fundamentally driven by people who also speak to strangers at a really really regular level about the things that matter to them. Um, and I was noticing that a lot in the Navarra coverage, coverage today that when it was Old Mate Craig, another shout out, um, who, who offered the most level-headed analysis of what had actually happened. And it was because he'd spent so clearly, so much of the last, the last period of, of his life just speaking to people who he'd never ever met before about what was important to them in their lives. Um, and I, I couldn't encourage anyone more to go and talk to as many strangers as they can all day, every day for the rest of their lives. <laughs> well, when you put it like that. <laughs> yeah, um, Sign me up. <laughs> amazing. Um, I guess what I would say is we know that Corbyn's manifesto is incredible and ambitious and inspiring. And we know that a lot of what's in there is actually very popular and very common sense to a lot of people. And, you know, unfortunately, as we've found today and like, I think, yeah, it's it's important to acknowledge that, you know, we are, of course, like, you know, mourning that the fact that this this chapter is over, but it's it's, you know, dawning on a new chap- chapter and these ideas are gonna be continued on in twenty twenty, you know. Um, and I think the important lesson to take away is not that, you know, um, Corbyn went too far left or, or any conclusion along those lines, because clearly Brexit has broken UK politics and the anti-establishment character of Brexit has overshadowed this in this instance but we're going to keep fighting and there's actually still a lot to look forward to so I'm I'm ready to yeah to keep looking to the future and I'm really excited future's unwritten comrades yeah um well I think that's it I wanted to end with a um quote from Pablo Neruda which Corbin quoted when he launched the first um the manifesto this year uh, which is very simple. It says, um, you can cut all the flowers, but you cannot stop the spring from coming. Oh, so. yeah. We love you, Jez. You did nothing wrong, uh, apart from that one thing that you did do wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we forgive you. We forgive you. You're the boy. You're always the boy in our hearts. Um, cool. Thanks, everyone. See Bye. you out. Knocking doors, people. Bye. Bye. Bye.